Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. Would you stand to your feet, and would you put your hands together and honor this woman as she comes? All right. Pastor Jeannie Mayo. Jeannie Mayo. You're so sweet. I adore you. John, thanks for letting me be here. I thought you were great on the video. Thanks. I love you. Oh, you got, whoa, whoa, don't sit down yet. All right, look at somebody and just be nice. Just be nice. Turn around, nice, just go, you look great today. You know, thank you, love. Thank you for brushing your teeth. I don't care what you have to say. Just be kind. So fun. Oh, gosh, it has been heaven to be here at your wonderful church. I've been here another couple of times. And gosh, again, I know you all shouted uh, to make your presence known when Kristen asked. But one more time, all my wonderful uh, ladies from this weekend, shout again. <clears throat> Absolutely delight. John, I bet men don't shout as loud after their deals. They just go, rah, rah, you know. <laughs> but, but women are so awesome. And, and so, gosh, so fun. Uh, what an honor to be here. And I say this sincerely. I said it to the girls, you know, at the conference. Um, gosh, I've been in ministry, you know, right, a little over 50 years. I'll say five decades. That doesn't sound as old. And have loved most of it, not all of it, but most of it. But I have a, a really good sensor after you've done it. If this has been my world for over five decades, I know real when I meet it. I know anointed when I meet it. I know good leaders when I meet them. And your pastors are that. So celebrate your pastors. They're awesome. And I told the first crowd, I'm proclaiming it a holiday. This week is Love Your Pastors Week, all of them. Not just, you know, send money, send, <laughs> beg. No one laughed in that one at all. I thought it was kind of cute, you know, send money. I'm kidding. No, I'm not. Or, or just, you know, some kind of good food or something. They're amazing people. I would love coming to this church if I lived around here healthy healthy. You walk in the door, wonderful people, all sorts of age range, and just good people, just good people. So thanks for letting me hang out for a little bit with you. It was so fun. I get on the plane, and I have uh, another initiative uh, that I call Prevailed that walks in the door tomorrow morning. So, so excited to be with you. Having said that, let me have some fun. I'm, I am near Washington, D.C. Matter of fact, the Delta pilot, I, I've never had a pilot come out and discuss something like this with me. I'm getting off the plane here. He comes off, and he was trying to be fun. He said, hey, you look like you could be trouble, he said to me. And uh, I thought, you're smart. So I, I, you know, I just laughed back. And said, and then he said, stay out of it. And I went, I don't know if I can, pal. I mean, I, I'm, I, yeah, I don't know if I can. And he said, ma'am, remember, you're in Washington, D.C. It is big trouble. It's worse than being in 
Vegas when you get in trouble here. So if realizing you are Washington, D.C. people, you will certainly understand. I, I'm going to tell a fun little story about uh, an IRS auditor. And, you know, apparently we're hiring lots more auditors. So that's, thank you, whatever, whether you're Democrat, Republican, or nothing. <laughs> so excited about the new auditors. So pumped about that. Yeah, okay. So, you know, the story's about this IRS auditor and this a gentleman who was a lawyer, and this elderly pastor was dying. And uh, he was doing hospice care in his home. And, uh, you know, they had, he had said to them, I really want honesty on the journey. So his hospice nurse had told him 24 more hours at the max. Had the oxygen on, exceptionally weak. So his last official request was really kind of rare. He said, call my lawyer and the man who did the IRS audit on me a couple of years ago and tell them, it's my dying wish, I want to see them both. Well, that was really unique. But the call was made. The two gentlemen obviously showed up at the same time. They were told at time. They were ushered in to the bedroom by the hospice nurse. And he was very weak. He was laying on the bed. And so he just kind of put his hands out in greeting them. And they came closer very reverently because obviously, I mean, what an honor to be called. And, and he kind of put his hands down on either side of the bed, suggesting that both of them sit close to him on either side of the bed. And then he took both their hands. Well, this was, this was so rare because both of the men had discussed before they walked into his bedroom, they had never felt particularly close to the elderly senior pastor at all. And here he is requesting they come in his last few hours. And he's got them on either side in the bed. He's holding their hand. And the elderly pastor just looked up into heaven and smiled and big sigh like all was well. Well, it was real quiet for a while. You know, well, that's an awkward thing. You know, we're holding this guy's hand. We barely know. He's dying. He's smiling, looking at heaven. And finally, the lawyer said, Pastor, we are so honored that you would call us here. It, it just is so moving. But we're, in honesty, a little confused. Uh, why did you call the two of us to be here in these closing hours? And, and he took his oxygen mask off, and he started talking slowly because words had to be worked at because of the breathing. But he eventually got out. Well, gentlemen, Jesus died between two thieves. And I want to follow his fine example. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Whether you're a Democrat or Republican, enjoy that, because we all, and enjoy the audits and everything in Jesus' name. So fun. Gosh, gosh. Still the greatest country. Still the greatest country. There's my prejudice right there. Okay, hey, only one of these left. And Kim, why don't you come grab mine or somebody, you know what? No, just one of you take it back to the book table. You don't have to do it, Kim. They'll do it. 
uncensored, only one left, and two with this if you want it. Finding God when he feels far away, when the heavens press up and you can't, you don't feel like your prayers are going through. This one is, is such a great Christmas gift if you have teenagers or young adults in your family. But this one, uh, dating declassified, friendship, dating, and sex. Great Christmas gift. And if you're a young adult, and it's not, sex is not the Christmas gift, if that's what you're thinking. Never mind, I could keep going on that. This is not an R-rated book, by the way. Some of you are really worried. All right. Dating section, some of the chapters where Playboy and I agree. <clears throat> um, the dating myth we all want to believe, the poison that will kill your dating life, breaking up without falling apart. This is such a big, I often say, uh, puppy love leads to a dog's life. And so it's such a big deal. And then under friendships, how to have more friends than you'll ever deserve, a guaranteed way to forget, predict your future, the big secret of making friends, 14 things girls wish guys knew about friendship, and 12 things guys wish girls knew about friendships. And then the sex section. Now, that's an awkward thing to say, the sex section. Sex section. Ooh, that's awkward. I thought you said, I thought you said you love me. What Jerry Springer and Oprah won't tell you. <laughs> Thank you. Solo sex, which is about what you think it is. <clears throat> and on and on. But anyway, in our leadership book, if you're interested in that, it's there in the lobby if you're interested in any of those. So fun. Sex section. I've got to think of some new way. The intimacy section, I'll call it. It doesn't sound like I'm cussing or saying bad words when I say that. Gosh, in, i got to tell you, as somebody who's followed the Lord for a while, and let me check my watch so I don't talk too long, because the truth is that uh, you can only handle what your rear can absorb down here. So I, I want to be aware. Um, my, my second son has an immortal quote. Here it is. There is no such thing as a bad short sermon. <laughs> That's probably true, too. <laughs> I don't do very well at that. I, I got to tell you, as somebody who's followed Jesus for lots of amazing years, <clears throat> here's the challenge. To stay fully in the game all the way. Now, that has nothing to do with my emotions because as I talk to the girls about, the reality of God's presence and your feelings have really nothing to do with each other. But it has everything to do with my, my daily choices to be fully in, fully committed, to respond to those tiny little prompts in my gut, to apologize or keep my mouth shut or on and on the list goes, to reach out and care for everybody else. I talked about being a RISBA. And so, as we take a look at it, um, gosh, I have to say to the Lord sometimes, not really pretty often, uh, run away to heaven with my heart again. I don't want to, I don't want to kind of coast in. I think I'm going to live another almost 30 years. And, uh, you know, because I take a lot of vitamins, folks, <laughs> and uh and so the reality is, you know, again, 
I want to, I say it often, I want to finish the race with the wind in my face. I don't want to just exist these last few decades. How do you do that? If you're new and you're walk with Jesus, this is a great message to drink in and, and absorb. But if you've been around in the kingdom for a while, equally great, equally great. I call it apprehended by the eternal because that's what I want to be. I don't want to just be a Christian. I don't want to just live so I miss hell. I want to be apprehended. I love that word. It's aggressive. It, it's all in. Tom Brady is apprehended. I'm not sure about the eternal, but football. And some of you didn't move. Apparently, I'm in nowhere that likes Tom Brady. Tom Brady's a bad boy. He's terrible. <clears throat> he can't play football. He quit and went back in again. How dumb is that? That was probably because his wife got sick of having him around, and she said, go back in, Homer. Go back in. I can't stomach having you in the house this much. I don't know. Anyway, Tom Brady was a horrible thought moving right along, but he is apprehended by something <laughs> different. But I want to be apprehended by the eternal. And as I look at somebody in the Old Testament who had, had his human nature so changed, uh, I think of, of Jacob. Because Jacob was the guy, he was, if you follow the account, and I'll remind you of it from the Old Testament, he was originally a deceiver, a manipulator, um, he, a, a weakling. And he was later, it says, and I'm not going to talk about it today, wrestle with the angel of the Lord, changed his name. The, the Lord changed his name to Israel, which means prevailer instead of deceiver. But how'd that happen? How did he become apprehended um, by, by Jesus Christ and the eternal and a sense of destiny, whether you are a doctor or a lawyer or whoever you are? How in the world did that happen? So let's, let's unpack it from the scripture. And certainly it's not all inclusive. But for me, these are the things that I have to remind myself on. Uh, if, if when you go home, you want to check out kind of <clears throat> the scripture, look at Genesis 25 and forgive me, I've taken everything in the world for my allergies, but this is quite a place for allergies. Thank you. Mm. Mm. So I don't have COVID unless some of you go running out of the service when I cough. It's, it's the story in Genesis 25, 28 background a little bit. Uh, Jacob, how was he transformed from that manipulator and that wimp into being somebody who was apprehended by the eternal? Now, in chapter 25 of Genesis, you hear that his dad's name was Isaac, and Isaac's wife was Rebecca, and Rebecca gave birth to two to twins, two twins. That'd be four people. No, that's a lot of hatching, but that's one pair of twins. And and so it was that the first one was Esau. He came out first, and then the other one was Jacob, who came out second. Now, let me give you a quick fun profile of the two of them. Uh, Esau 
was the expert. He was the outdoor guy. He was the, you know, the bears, Bear Grylls. Did I say that right? Okay. Do you not know who that is? Maybe that's an old illustration. Who's the He-Man now? Who? Give me one. Oh, you're still going to go with him. All right. Okay. He was that guy. And, and Jacob, and he hunted with his dad. Jacob was, I, I, I think he was the New Old Testament Pee Wee Herman. Cause he, and when I get to heaven, I'll apologize to Jacob for how I misrepresented him. He's probably big and brute and stuff, but that's not how I envisioned him. He was mama's boy. And he always loved to cook. And by the way, if you're a man and love to cook, I want to marry you. Not really. I don't want to. I do not want to marry you. I, that, that didn't go over well either. I apologize. I just don't want any man who cooks to think I'm saying he's Pee Wee Herman. But this guy just hung out with his mom all the time, didn't want to be with his dad, you know. And you kind of see him with those big glasses in your head, big black glasses with tape holding them together in the middle, and he's about 80 pounds of rippling muscle, I'm sure. And he, he wasn't his dad's favorite. Uh, Esau was. And so, you know, as we see the story, Jacob, whether it was through his mom's influence, life, I don't know. He became manipulative to try to get what he wanted, a deceiver, uh, not a truth teller. And as we look at it, let me let me kind of read from Genesis 25. I'm going to start around 29 to 34. One day, Jacob was cooking a stew. And Esau came in from the field, and he was starved. And Esau said to Jacob, give me some of that red stew. I am starved. Verse 31, Jacob said, make me a trade. My stew for your rights as the firstborn. Ooh, big deal. Verse 32, Esau said, I'm starving. What good will the birthright do me if I'm dead? Ooh, a little dramatic there. And verses 33 and 34, Jacob said, first swear to me. And he did it. So with an oath, Esau then <clears throat> traded away his rights as the firstborn. Jacob gave him the stew of lentils and the bread. He ate and drank, got up and left. And that is how Esau, and listen how this translation puts it, shrugged off his rights as the firstborn. That should echo in your heart. Lord, I don't want to shrug off my rights as your child. I don't want to make them of little consequence. How's, how's all of this? Because again, <clears throat> Jacob's still Jacob, and we're heading towards Israel. You know, we're heading from deceiver to prevailer. How do you get there? Well, again, there are other steps, but let me unpack three of them. I call it apprehended key number one. In the middle of our 21st century culture, determine in your life to shun the bowl for the birthright. Please hear that. If you're scribbling any notes, that, that could be worth writing down. To shun the bowl. What do I mean by that? Oh, gang, you know what? The bowl represents any hungry need in your life. Usually not 
for physical hunger. Now, it happened to be for Esau that it was physical hunger. Most of us are not stupid or immature or undisciplined enough to throw away something so big as the birthright. See, the birthright was a big deal. In Old Testament culture, the birthright was given to the firstborn son, and it was the lion's share of the wealth of the family when the father died, the patriarch role, the head of the family, the spiritual head of the family. He was the VIP, and the presence of Jehovah was unusually upon him. That was a massive deal. So what in the world, Esau? What are you thinking? You're hungry. You trade with your punk brother a bowl of soup or stew or something for your birthright? Here's the statement I'll make. Ladies and gentlemen, no matter who you are, including me, a hungry need will always be a dangerous need. Now, I don't mean hunger in the sense of physical. I'm talking about hungry for appreciation, hungry for friendship, hungry to be respected, hungry to be viewed as prominent by certain people. I mean, we've all got things that may not be wrong in themselves, but when they begin to grow, they can make us make some stupid decisions. I don't, I don't know that I've ever said this publicly, but I shared it with first service, and you guys look nice, so I'm going to share it here. Um, I've just learned the hard way that people can misquote you and make you sound horrible. Sam, when he came down, it was Lewy body dementia that the stroke kicked him into, a brutal kind of dementia that the neurologist said it makes Alzheimer's look like a coveted friend. And he was right. It was rough. I was privileged, like I think I said, to keep him at home. Uh, three years he lived. And I, when I worked, I had a wonderful Christian lady come in, and she kept him about eight hours, and then I took the other 12 to 14. And... Uh, um, Gosh, the three years that he was alive post-stroke, I never had my real Sam. He didn't come back by the end of, really before the end of the first year and no longer recognized his sons. Uh, he would be angry when his grandsons came in the room because he thought they were a little younger than they made too much noise, which is so not like him. And by the end of the first year, he no longer knew me. Uh, so I was living with a very different man, not my Sam. It's not like we had conversations, and soon his ability to talk went away. I had lost my husband those three years. Now he's been deceased five, so that's eight years. Now I've raised my boys. I have a really fulfilling ministry, but folks, I got to tell you that three years, plus about three years in after Sam went to heaven, so that would have been about six years the evenings got awfully empty and awfully alone. The house would be a little empty, and, you know, I'd try to fill it doing stuff. You can only read your Bible, pray, and whatever so much, you know, and then you go, okay. Uh, so, gosh, you know, I started watching these stupid dvr shows on TV. Do you watch? Because I have insomnia, so I can't watch real shows that have real plots or I stay awake. So i got to watch brainless stuff I can fall asleep at. So, I mean, my brainless stuff, I don't know if you've got some. How many of you have at least 
one, and I'm not going to ask what yes, one brainless show, you know, that you watch. Probably, come on, the rest of you are lying. All right, all right. At least that man nodded his head. Thank you. Great beard, sir. Great beard. Great beard. Like, extraordinary. All right. So I'm, I'm watching ones like, like the shows on, I think it's TLC or something, all the little people shows, like Little People, Big World. Have you seen that? Don't divorce him. Leave He's a grump, but stay with But anyway, she did. She divorced him. Or really, my favorite is the Alaskan shows. They're all over, like Below Zero. That's the name of it. I don't even know why I like it. I think I like it because you have to be tough to live in those environments. And so, I, you know, that's how I put myself to sleep. And um, gosh, it was three years tending to him. But of course, he didn't talk. He was in bed. He was very unaware. I had the privilege of tending to all of his needs, underline all, because obviously couldn't do it. Um, but two years after the funeral, five years, six years, something, I remember one night I was watching some program. And of course, media makes romance something that's not. It's like you're supposed to have this person, and they make you salivate every time they come into the room, you know. And the music starts, and you go, oh, you understand everything I'm thinking. You know, that's baloney. But um, I was watching. I don't even remember what it was. And, and I was so overwhelmed with loneliness. And I'd called both my boys that night, and they have full lives. And they couldn't talk. And there I'm left, just cheering, staring at the little people <laughs> and me, you know. And... Um, they're not talking back. And I remember saying to the Lord, I don't want to be stupid at this point in my life. Lord, guard me from a hungry need for companionship. It wasn't intimacy that I was hungry for. It was somebody to be with me, to come into the living room of my life and, and have moments together, you know. You know you're lonely, when you go outside to verbally express appreciation occasionally to your trash people. You're lonely. You go, wow, <laughs> you really want some companionship. And, and see, here's the deal. I go to my son's church when I'm at home, but three out of four weeks, I'm on the road. And, and so, and his church is an hour away. So, you know, if I want to just walk in and hug my grandsons, it's two hours of of commute in Atlanta traffic, which is what could make one backslide in itself. So a hungry need is a dangerous need. And what I'm trying to say is we can all have them for something in a moment. And, and I just want to say to you, be careful, as I said, that you don't in a moment um, grab at the bowl, the stupid stew, to make you feel better at that moment and thereby sacrifice out all or a part of the birthright, the anointing of God on your life. I wrote in my notes here, I think the future of all of our lives. Now, you've lived what you've lived now, but let's go into your future. I think the future of your life, these next few years as the Lord tarries, the future of your destiny greatly depends on how much you keep fighting to destroy undisciplined appetites. 
again, it can be to be thought well of, to be listened to, all of those things, none of them bad in themselves. But be careful because, see, any desire you toy with long enough in your mind will make you its toy. Do you hear that? And, and so it is. Be careful. Whatever the longing or hunger is in your life, and we all have them. And again, I want to stress, nothing wrong with them when we keep them in balance. But they can make you play the fool. Because the enemy can anoint that hunger, make it way out of proportion, make solving it, satisfying it feel all too good. And it will feel good until the consequences come. And, and so as we look at it, the question I'd ask you this morning is, what's the undisciplined appetite or appetites in your life right now that this morning the Lord maybe just had you come to church to say, hey, look inside and call it what it is. Again, nothing wrong. All those desires are normal in our life, but a hungry need is a dangerous need. And unfortunately, most of us way too easily shun our future on the altar of the present. Isn't that true? Okay, if I were saying, okay, let's look at him. Jacob, again, how the transition, and again, it's way more than just this portion of Scripture. His wrestling with the angel is later. Why don't you look at, or let me read to you a synopsis of Genesis chapter 27. Isaac called Esau to come to him, and Isaac was blind by this point. And he said to Esau, I'll just relate part of it. He said to Esau, okay, son, I'm, I'm not going to be here much longer. And so he was weak and laying in bed, and he said, I want you to go out. You've hunted with me all this time. You know my favorite kind of animals. I want you to shoot one, bring it back to your mom. She'll cook it just the way I like it. And then you bring that meal into me. I will eat it, and right after that, I will lay my hands on you and pass, pass the birthright to you. Okay, going to happen. And, and so it was that uh, good old Rebecca was eavesdropping <laughs> during the conversation. And so what she do? Oh, you know what she did. She calls little Jacob, her baby doll, to her. And she said, honey, your mama's favorite. And he didn't, she didn't say that, but it said, daddy, you know, that daddy in there, he's going to give your birth, the birthright to your big old nasty brother. None of this is in the Bible. I mean, the bottom line is there. Uh, he's going to give the birthright to Esau, and she shared the plan. You know, Esau's going out, looking, killing whatever kind of animal was your dad's favorite, bring it back, I'll cook it, rah, 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 rah. That'll take a while. So we're going we're gonna to speed this thing up. You go out into the farmyard and obviously wouldn't have to hunt for it. You kill one of the goats. And you bring me the meat right away. And I will season and cook it just the way your father loves it. And so, you know, Esau, or pardon me, Jacob, hey, way to go, Mom. But he said, one big problem. Dad's blind. So he can't see me. I can make my voice sound like my brother's. 
But when dad touches me to lay his hand on me for the birthright, he will know it's not Esau because Esau is very hairy on the back of his neck and his hands and forearms. And I'm not. He'll know immediately. And the mom said, we'll fix that because that goat that you're, you're bringing and that I'm cooking, we'll skin it and we will place the skins of that goat over your arms and hands and the back of your neck. And when your father, and again, he's blind, addresses you and feels you as he starts to give you the birthright when he lays his hand on you, it will feel as though it were your brother. And so it says, Genesis 27, verses 15 through 19, Rebecca took the dress of clothes of her son Esau, probably to have the same scent, put them on the younger son. She took the goatskins, covered Jacob's hands and the smooth back of his neck, and she placed the hearty meal that she had fixed and the fresh bread she had baked into the hands of the son Jacob while Esau was still out hunting. And he went into his father and said, My father, yes, he answered, Which son are you? Interesting that he asked that. And Jacob answered his father, I'm your firstborn son. See, I told you he was a deceiver and liar. Esau, I have done what you told me. Come now, father, sit up and eat of my game so you can then give me the blessing of the birthright. What do I see from that? Well, gosh, I see all of us. So I'm going to say apprehended key number two is Get rid of your skins. Now, what in the world are skins? What am I talking about? I think this is so representative of places in my life where I try to be someone or something I'm not. That's what, that's what was happening there with, with, again, the brother who was trying to be his older brother. He wasn't the older brother. He wasn't the hunter. He wasn't called to be that person. And I say on my notes here, usually, at least in my life, my or, by the way, your skins can be trying to be somebody you're not or cover up who you really are. And your, your skins are usually born out of insecurity or pain. That's a lot of mine have been. Or out of personal rationalization, deception, unwillingness to own sin or carnality or bondage in your own life. And, and so you look at it, Jacob thought if he could just be like the number one son, life would be amazing. And see, the truth is, and I wrote on my notes, power for Jacob would only come when he faced his own deception and manipulation. But I love the quote, compare and compete, and you always live in defeat. Compare, compete, human nature, you live in defeat. You reach a point and you think, if I could only do this, if I could only be this, if I could only look this way, if I could only have this person think well of me, those are all facades. Be the best possible you you can be. Now, if your you has carnality, like the people who go, I'll just give them to everybody how I think. Well, 
you you don't have skins on. You're just you're just arrogant and rough. You need to peel some of that off. I'm not saying just, you know, all the things that don't match the fruit of the Spirit, let's all work on. But just remember, the fruit of the Spirit is grown in your life, not just given, like the gifts. And usually it's grown with manure in the garden. And, and so, again, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance, see, all of those. So, so don't think that you have a right to keep exploiting all of those things when they, they damage those around you. On the other hand, peel that stuff away with the help of the Lord and be you. I'm not, you know, it, as a woman in ministry, uh, gosh, when they give you the Lifetime Achievement Award uh, from the Assemblies of God, that just means you're old. That's all that means. Good. Tommy Barnett and I got it. And then, you know, I mentally, you know, I could compare myself to a bunch of people who consider me mom. But Christine Keynes, the Lisa Bevere's women, who are pretty, pretty well known in ministry. But I can't be those people. I'm who I am. I'm the two on the Enneagram. Any of you who know Enneagram, I am the pleaser. People go, no, no, you're a three. No, I'm not. I'm a wing three. I'm a two. Come here. Talk to me. Let me help you. How can I hug you? What? You know, all of that. But the deal is I'll always be this. So I've got... I've got to find the places that I need to peel away some of my carnality, but be the best I can be. Be the very best. What are the skins in your life? What are you trying to be that maybe, uh-uh, uh-uh. You know, maybe, again, it's out of deception. For some of you, you just need to apologize to one or two people. Because you have made yourself somebody that you're not meant to be. We talked so much at, at the wonderful, lavish conference about unity. What a big deal. And, and so whether it's somebody in your family or your workplace or even here, pull the skins off long enough to, to peel back the deception or the manipulation and say, I'm sorry I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have sided with those people, whatever it might be. And then last of all, Genesis 28, uh, verses 10 through 15. Last point. So Jacob journeyed to Haran. And that night when he stopped to camp, he was running away from his brother because his brother had realized how stupid he had been. But he had been stupid. And so he was running from his brother. And, and look what we see. That night, when he stopped to camp, he found a rock for his pillow. A rock for his pillow and laid down. Now, that's a rough bed, folks. You know, no amount of watching little people DVR is going to help that guy fall asleep. You know, you're on a rock. And he dreamed that a staircase reached from earth to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up. And down the staircase, in verses 13 and 14, at the top of the stairs stood the Lord. And he said, I am Jehovah, the God of Abraham. The ground you're lying on, even with that rock, is yours. I will give it to you, and I'm going to give it also to your descendants. 
and you will have as many descendants as there are grains of sand. I mean, that's an overwhelming promise. What's more, he says in verse 15, I'm with you. I will protect you wherever you go. I will bring you back safely to this land. I will be with you continually as I finish giving you all that I am promising to you. Amazing. And so my last point, and then I'll tell you a true story, and then we'll pray together. My last one. If you want to be more than just a normal Christian, and I do, I do. You go, you're in the ministry. You couldn't ever cool off. Oh, yeah, you can. I know a lot of people who travel and do part of what I do. But you know what? They may have lived for the Lord lots of years, but in reality, they're reliving the same year of Christianity over and over again. And so they could find themselves in the book of Revelation. Maybe some of you can, where Jesus said to one of the churches, I have somewhat against you because you've lost your first love. Again, that's not feeling. I want to keep saying, don't chase feeling. That's commitment. That's commitment. Like coming to this amazing class on how to evangelize and saying, whether you're a new Christian or you've been around forever, Lord, I want you to stir this in my heart again. I want you to stir the heart to reach other people in my heart again. What a great church you have. What an easy place to ask guests and friends to come to. What an easy way to build friendship bridges from your heart to theirs so Jesus can one day walk over it. But, but back to that pillow, the pillow that was the rock. I'm simply saying this. Persevere through all those pillows of rocks, because life will give them to all of us, to eventually experience the staircase to heaven. Persevere. Here's the newsflash, folks. Life won't always be pretty. No matter how amazing you are, life won't always be fun. And as a matter of fact, to the finest Christians in the world, reverses will come. And in our human intellect, we'll say, I don't understand, God, how you didn't stop that. And you never will understand. He says in his word that his ways are way higher than ours. And his thoughts are way higher. So if you've got to understand with your intellect everything that happens down here, you'll be a very bitter person. You'll get to heaven. You can ask him. But in heaven, you won't even give a rip. And, and so what I'm saying is, you know, persevere through those times. The pillows of rocks, the heartbreaks, the disappointments. I didn't think it was going to come out like this. If you had told me that Sam was going to die in his early 70s and that the last 20, 30 years of my life would be alone, that really wasn't, that wasn't in the cards. That stroke wasn't in the cards that day. Cleaning the private areas of the patriarch of my life after he had diarrhea because obviously he had no cognition, that was not in the cards taking care in that way of my mom or dad or Sam's mom or dad, that was in the cards, not for my hero. That's not what I have to do for the man who gave me two children. Pillow stone. Now, sometimes you bring the, the pillar or the pillow of rock or stone on yourself, your own sin, your own disobedience. We've all, we all understand that. But 
whatever the cause, it's there. And listen, one thing that our society is not real good at these days, grit it out. Persevere. Go through it. Go through it. We are persevering people. We change everything all the time. We change marriages. We change jobs. Dear Lord, we change churches. We change everything. Because the moment we're kind of not happy with just everything in the marriage or the job or the church or name anything you want, then, you know, we're out. Hey, you may be out. And there are times to be out for sincere issues. So please don't hear me condemning somebody on that. But what I'm saying is make sure you have grit. Make sure you go a little longer than most people would have gone. Does that make sense? You will never be a champion in any sort of way if you quit every time something gets tough. Champions, the Tom Brady's again, I'm showing my bias, are, are made because they show up in the weight room before the other guys. They come to practice early and probably stay late. They choose to, to put their body through disciplines of exercise to make their bodies do what most bodies at that age don't do, and they're not comfortable. How much do you honor just being comfortable all the time? Nothing wrong with that, but how about at some point wanting to make your heavenly father comfortable with you? I wrote down here on my notes, sometimes you have to do things you deeply dislike to create things you deeply desire. Let me say it again. Sometimes you have to do things you deeply dislike to create things you deeply desire. Like, I want to lose 20 pounds. I have now been on four diets. Count them. One, two, three, four. Recently. I won't even tell you how recently because that would tell you what a jerk I am. I want to lose 20 pounds. I want to be Kristen's size. It doesn't work because I, food is my comfort late at night, you know, when nobody's there. I just don't come to me, you know, and I want to diet without doing stuff I deeply dislike. Does that make sense? And I know what, I'm laughing at myself going, oh, for crying out loud. I even paid the money to go to this one plan that was supposed to help me. And I, I went a couple of times, and then I thought, I'm not going to do this. So I, I kept making up excuses, and now I've stayed away long enough. They don't even call anymore. They got my money. They got my money, but whatever. We're the pillows of rocks for you. You know, it can be simple stuff like keeping your mouth shut on something or denying yourself something that you really want or working your heart out and somebody else getting the credit or going through betrayal, or pain, or loneliness. I mean, we all, all have them. I, I think the concern is that, like Jacob, most of us have more dreams than we have obedience. Do you hear that? We have more dreams than we have obedience. So let me close. Oh, and one other quote I, I think you'd like. The risky voyage into tomorrow consists of not only in making new landscapes, but also in asking the Lord for new eyes. 
Some of you have been here for the, at this church for a long time. And maybe you're not as grateful for it as you used to be. And I'm sure you are grateful because all of you keep telling me how wonderful your church is, and I agree. But if not, hey, the answer is not going to a new landscape. The answer is saying, Lord, give me new eyes. Send me to that. I'm going to go to that class on sharing my faith. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say to you, even if I've been a Christian 40 years, stir in me again. Because that's how, again, see, that apprehended by the eternal, again, for the 20th time, nothing to do with feeling a certain way. Because if the Lord has to tickle your feelings, you're very immature. When a baby is taken care we all know as we raise children at the beginning, the younger and more immature they are, the more we have to tend to their every little feeling. But as one grows, choices take the place of feelings. And that is true in your walk with Jesus Christ. Let me talk to you as I conclude true story about a couple of guys whose names, quite honestly, before I studied about them, I didn't know. John Leonard Doberman and David Nietzscheman. And again, you, you probably don't recognize them. I myself did not. Um, they were just normal people. David was a carpenter. John was a potter. They were in their 20s. They were both single. And uh, they lived uh, around the 1700s. And they wanted to be apprehended by the eternal. They wanted to be more than just another Christian who misses hell and goes to heaven. They wanted to make a difference. Again, in their own way, with their skins off their own way. And so it is that they heard that true story again. 3,000 uh, slaves had been captured from the jungles of Africa and were captured by an atheistic British slave owner, and he transported the slaves to the Caribbean to do forced labor in sugarcane fields. Huh. And for some reason, these two young men, just picture them in their 20s. Maybe they showed up for the college ministry around here, <clears throat> and they just wanted their, my language, whatever theirs might have been, to be apprehended, not just another Christian. Aren't you tired of just being another Christian? There are a lot of other Christians out there. Aren't you tired of that? That has nothing to do with, with being on stages or any of those other things. It has everything to do with your, your personal choices. And, and so it was that they decided they were going to go um, try to get the gospel of Christ to those 3,000 slaves. Because horrendous to think of, of doing back-breaking work in the hot Caribbean sun for all those hours and not getting rewarded for it. But even more horrendous to think eternity will never be yours in the presence of Jesus, because you never got even one opportunity to hear of the Lord's love. So there they were, true story again. They decided that they were going to go. So they applied for whatever it would have been back then, visa or whatever, 
to be able to go over uh, to where the slaves were being worked. And they were, they were slammed down because they were told that there was no transport or visa for them going to that area, that only two categories of people could ever go there to that, that island in the Caribbean. And it was people, one, who were slave owners that owned some of those slaves or slaves themselves. Now, if it had been most of us in little 21st century America where we kind of don't like to do things that displease us, it would have been pretty easy to give up then, but not for them. They were determined that their apprehended for the eternal was worth sacrificing for. Is yours? When's the last time you sacrificed for Jesus? And I don't mean... I don't mean going overseas. I don't mean giving a million bucks. I don't know what your sacrifice could be. Yeah. And, and so they, they knew that the only way that they could reach the slaves with the gospel of Christ was to make themselves slaves. And so the true story, and by the way, they became the first two Moravian missionaries was they submitted themselves to one of the slave owners. They were bought for pitiful little money, and they were sent overseas. In their heart, that, that pulsing belief, Jesus has called us to go out. He's told us to go out, but he hasn't told us that we all have to return. And so they, they got on the ship for the last time, and their families and friends had begged them to not go. Don't do this. You have your whole life in front of you. No, don't do this. But they were, they were steadfast. And as they got on the ship, friends and relatives were still calling to them from the side. One last time, begging them to jump overboard and swim to the shore to stop to not throw their life away this way. And so church history says of the two initial Moravian missionaries that they locked arms together, one, and then raised the other one, and they shouted loudly, and I'm going to quote it exactly. They shouted, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Men and women, that's a big line. You're standing there. You're leaving everything you care about. Any future with that. May the lamb who gave his life for us, the lamb who was slain, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of all the world, may that lamb receive through our apprehended lives part of the honor, part, just a little bit of the honor that he is more than worthy of. May the Lamb of God, you know why I keep saying it? Because I want the Holy Spirit to stir it in your heart. You don't have to go find a ship and go to the mission field, but may your spirit, and you can go ahead and soothe the music out and they'll start. Your spirit, I, I prayed even this morning, Lord, stir some of our hearts, including mine again. Because you know what? It's so easy for all of us and I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but to go through the drill. I get it. 
We all get it. But may the Spirit of God stir something on the inside of you to leave, to walk out of these doors a little bit more apprehended by the fact that heaven is for real and so is hell. Heaven is for real. So is hell. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can never, never lose. So what do you need to face off with Jesus about in your closing prayer today? Is it, is it just saying, first, I've got some hungry needs or one hungry need that I've let get really a little too large? Or is it that you're wearing uh, some skins on your life? You're not being really who you are. Or is it, uh, number three, that you're just saying, wow. What was number three? It was a powerful point. What? That's it. I thought one of you said Dairy Queen. And I thought, Dairy Queen? Did I talk about Dairy Queen? That's awesome. I love this church. I love you. I am in love with you. I will call you my Dairy Queen church for the rest of my journey. And I love Dairy Queen, by the way, lest you wonder if that's a compliment. Or the third room, for real. Maybe you're living with your spiritual head on pillows that feel like rocks. And it's not fun. And, and you need to remind yourself, go on. Go on. Go on. Go on. Go on. Ooh. Go on. Anybody can sit down in the middle of it. But remember that when you let yourself sit down, it's kind of like crawling into a really comfortable bed. It's easy to get into that slump, but hard to get out. Be careful. Some of us are here by divine appointment this morning. Go on. Go on. And so as we wrap it up this morning, we're going to go back to the song that we sang at the conference. I love it. I surrender. I surrender. I want to be apprehended by the eternal. I surrender, Jesus. Find me this morning, wherever you are in this beautiful sanctuary. Think about it for a minute. Aren't you sick of doing church? We've done church forever. I said to the girls, aren't you sick of being challenged? Don't you want to be changed? Before you walk out the door, by a choice, not an emotion. And so as we sing this closing chorus, when you think of what in your heart you want to respond to the Lord on, you want to say, help me be different in that area, whatever it is. Probably one of the three I mentioned. Help me be different. I want to be more yours. I keep going back to this sentence over and over. Don't you want to be more than just another normal Christian? Don't you want to make hell a little, a little frightened when you get up? Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.